0: Gracious Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that we can give you worship, that we can give you glory, that we can honor you and praise you with the sacrifice of our lips. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the, not only the ability, but the privilege to come into your house, to seek you, Lord, to hear your word, to fellowship with one another, And in a little while, eat way too much. Lord, because you give us these gifts, and so we celebrate you in them. And I pray, Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, that our attitude of worship would continue. God, that we would hear your voice, that your spirit would guide us, that you would grow us, Lord, that you would challenge us. And Father, that we would walk out today Just a little bit different than when we came in. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so as we move forward from Jesus being rejected in Nazareth, which is what we looked at over the last couple weeks, we will see today that Jesus went down to Capernaum. This was a distance of about 20 miles or so, uh, which at that time, because uh, remember he was in Nazareth, so it was about a 20 mile walk, but in their day and age, 20 miles was about a day's journey. Um, that seems like a really long day to me, uh, you know, if you had to walk it, but that was, that was the reality. And so once he got down there, he taught the people, he cast out demons, he healed many, including Peter's mother-in-law, which has its own implications that we'll talk about when we get that far so let's dive in. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. I was going to try to do a voice there, then I decided against it. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So while teaching in the synagogues, and it said Sabbaths, so this was over the course of at least a few weeks, maybe more, um, while in Capernaum, we see two things take place. First, the astonishment of the people at the authority of Jesus' teaching, and second, the astonishment of the people at Jesus' authority over unclean spirits, i.e. demons. So first, they were astonished. And the word means to be amazed or struck by. Um, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll look at something. Oh, it just struck me. Right? It just struck me as beautiful or it just struck me as horrible. Um, have you ever actually been hit when you weren't expecting it? Right. It's kind of weird, uh, you know, um, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't go around punching people and typically they don't go around punching me. Um, but I have been hit. I'll give you my favorite one. Uh, and actually it was Hannah's fault who did it, and then she broke the glasses I was wearing at the time. She already knows what story I'm going to tell. But we were playing pickleball, right? Had to have a pickleball reference. Don't worry, maybe we'll get to Lord of the Rings later. But we have to have a pickleball reference. Um, We were both going for a ball that went up the middle. I missed. I, I whiffed it and completely missed the ball, and she came across trying to hit it and smacked it into my face. I wasn't expecting that. She actually knocked the lens out of my glasses that I was wearing at the time, uh, which I'm very grateful that I was wearing glasses, or it would have hit me in the eye. And it, was, it came that fast that it did that. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. Now, there's been many a times I've been hit while playing pickleball. Usually I expect it because I see the ball coming. I didn't see that coming. Right? Now, I tell that story because that's what this word astonished means. Right? It's like they got hit out of the blue. They didn't see it coming they went to the synagogue expecting it to be the way it always was, right? The, the, the rabbi's going to get up, he's going to read a passage, he's going to tell us what horrible sinners we are, and we're going to go home. But oh wait, now there's this guy. And, and he's talking about repentance, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's talking about believing in him, and he's talking about the fulfillment of prophecy. Wow, this guy's kind of cool. Right? That's they they just they weren't expecting it. Because his word was with authority. And that word means power, strength, influence, or force. And this was not something they were used to. Back in that day, what the rabbis would usually do is something like this, right? They were going to teach on say um, repentance, because that's a word we've already used today. And so they might read a passage that talked about repentance. And then they would say, now, about that passage, Rabbi so-and-so says this. And then this other rabbi, he commentated on Rabbi so-and-so's comments about this passage. Right? They even did that in their books. They had two books that were outside the Bible, the Mishnah and the Talmud. The Mishnah was a commentary on the Law of Moses. The Talmud was a commentary on the Mishnah. Because that's what they did. Jesus wasn't doing that. He didn't say, oh, Rabbi so-and-so said this. He said, I say this. We have multiple examples. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you have an old King James, then very verily I say unto thee. Right? And what he was saying is, what I am telling you is truth. Not what Rabbi so-and-so said. Not what the missioner or the Talmud said. I'm telling you this truth because the word is his. We know from John 1.1, He is the Word. And because the Word is His, then the authority is His. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I'm going to point this out, and then we're going to move forward. The authority of Jesus' Word is ours to receive, right? We know when we read this book that it is the word of God, that it is authoritative, and we can receive it as such. But the authority within the word of God is then ours to declare. Now, I can go out and say this is my opinion, and that has very little weight on most subjects. But if I tell you this is what the Bible says, then that has authority. Not mine, his. His authority. And we can be assured of that. Now he says this spirit of the unclean demon. When Jesus confronts this demon who has possessed this man, there is a brief conversation. First, the demon says, leave me alone. Then the demon confesses that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus tells the demon to shut up and come on out, which happened. Now, it happened with violence, but not harm, right? The demon threw the guy down, but he wasn't hurt by it. We see throughout, and we will see as we continue in the book of Luke, multiple places where demons are attempting to physically harm the person. Now, we're going to be here for just a little bit. James 2.19 says this. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now, simply acknowledging that God is real does not equal salvation. And that's not always fun or easy for everybody to hear, but it's the truth. I've had a lot of conversation with people. I'm sticking with it. Um, I forgot a letter. Where they'll say, well, of course I believe in God. Okay. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I believe in God. I'm basically a good person. That's not what I asked. I don't care if you're basically a good person. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3.23, and I can say that with authority. Well, when it gets to the end, you know, I'm, I think my works, my good works will outweigh my bad. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says in multiple occasions, in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians, that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Right? That's that's the authority of God's Word. So it's great if you believe in God. That's a good start. But it is redemption through faith in Christ, through belief in His finished work on the cross... In our response to his offer of the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that leads to salvation. Simply saying, I believe in God, doesn't mean anything because even the demons acknowledge that and they are not saved. I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote. Um, well, I know it's a C.S. Lewis quote, I'm just going to say it wrong. Uh, where he talked about, the quote goes something to the effect that he has always been fascinated by the idea of atheism. He said, because even the demons didn't fall into that trap. But I think he was an atheist. He... Well, yeah, that's, that's a different story. <laughs> C.S. Lewis was an atheist. Um, but he tells the demons to be quiet. Why wouldn't Jesus allow the demon to speak of who he was? And I think there's two possibilities. Number one is it was not his time to be revealed, right? He had a very specific time when he would present himself as Messiah. But two, God does not want the enemy involved in marketing. And I think that's really, really interesting. Uh, Because I think there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of places... There's a lot of ministries that they want to do their absolute best to do things so that they look as much like the world as they can. Right? So there's some certain things we'll never do. Anybody here ever been to a church with fog machines up front? Am I the only one? Right? Now, I'm not saying they're not loving and trying to serve Jesus. I'm just saying, why do we need a fog machine? What about a light show? Anybody ever seen a light show at church? I like light shows. I love going to a concert in the lights. I love pyrotechnics at a concert. I think it's a lot of fun. But is that why we're here? Right? And I'm not, please don't take me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to put them down. And maybe, hopefully, their, their heart before God is in the right place. And they're doing what the Lord is leading them to do. But I don't see it. I don't, I just don't see that. When we're here, our focus should be on him. Right now, we want want the music to be good, but it's it's not about the music. It's about Him. We want the sermon to be good. You should have hired someone else. But it's not about that. It's about Him. Because that should be our focus, and not just when we're in the building. As followers of Christ, our focus should be Him all the time. Our attitude of worship should be constant. Anyways, I'm going I'm to go on a rabbit trail if I don't stop, and I have other rabbit trails planned. So they were amazed, right? Now, this is a different word from above. The word above meant um, to be struck by. This word means dumbfounded or stupefied. So at his teaching, they were struck by the authority. But when he cast out the demon, they were dumbfounded. They were sitting there going do you see that? Do you see what happened? He told the demon to shut up, right? They, 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 it was almost like an attitude of disbelief or wonder. And they wondered at the word or divine revelation because he had this power and authority over the demonic. Now, there were Jewish quote-unquote exorcists. I can't put quoting marks because my hands are full. And they had stuff that they tried. And even today, um, depending on where you're at or who you talk to, there are a number of ideas on how to expel evil spirits. Right? Have you ever been to someone's house when they were burning sage? There is a belief among like mystics and and, and those who are involved in various Eastern religions, that if there's an evil spirit in your house, all you have to do is burn sage. And they, uh, apparently they don't like the smell. I don't know. I don't like the smell either, so I left. Does that mean I'm an evil spirit? I don't think so. But does that work? No. I think the demons think it's funny. <laughs> they lit a candle for us. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Why? Because that doesn't mean anything. What means something? the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what means something when it comes to dealing with demonic, which we're going to talk about more here in a moment. Report about him spread. And this literally means that Jesus' fame spread throughout the region. That's what that word report means, is fame. So before we move forward, I do want to explore the topic of demon possession for a moment. When we see people being demon-possessed in the Bible... Uh, there's really one of two ways we see it. One, and forgive my Greek pronunciation. you all know how bad it is already. Uh, the first one is demon no close enough. And that word is when, literally means to be possessed by a demon. This is a person who is controlled by the demon or demons. They, de- they then display behavior, which is in accordance with them being controlled by the demon, right? And some of the behaviors we see throughout Scripture, uh, when we see a person who's possessed by a demon, um, right, they, they, they get thrown down. One person gets, the, the demon kept trying to throw the person into fire or into water. Self-harm, uh, cutting themselves, nudity, right? Remember the guy who ran around the tombs naked? Um, displays of insanity. The demon sometimes speaks through that person, unusual strength, and these are a few. Now, this is talking about demon possession. This is when the demon is inside a person. Now, there's another phrase in Greek. I can pronounce this one this much better. This word in Greek is ekon daimonian. Now, that appears in our passage. That's the word that appears in our passage as well as in Mark 123. And this indicates more of a demonic influence as opposed to full possession. That distinction is very important. Because demon possession is alive and well today. One of, uh, I have unfortunately had the, I'm not even going to call it the opportunity, but I've unfortunately on three occasions, been exposed to a person who was possessed Uh, one of those times was in India and it was a whole group of people and we locked the doors and rolled up the windows because they looked at us we had left church they had left their temple worshiping whatever demon they were worshiping and they had murder in their eyes they looked at us and I I mean I've never looked at a person and just been frightened by the look on their face but I looked at them and my cousin goes don't look at them." Like, but they're, he goes, yeah, he goes, they're all possessed. Yep. And they were staring at us like they knew who we were. Freaky, freaky, freaky. Uh, Two other times, one when I was working uh, at a home for troubled youth many years ago. And the other time at a church we attended in California. I'm a big guy. And and when we were in the church in California, we had to remove the person because they were going ballistic inside the church. Um, we had to call the police, and we prayed over that person, and they, oh, it was bad. It was bad. But it took five people my size to get her out of the church. Her. Five people my size. Right? Now, in each of those occasions, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, according to 1 John 4, 4. And according to Romans eight thirty seven, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Um, And so I was never afraid. Uh, Well, okay, in India, I was afraid. (laughs) But the other two occasions, I wasn't afraid because I knew greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But it's real. It's not something we encounter all that often, but it's real. Now, here's the deal with it. If you encounter that, remember that God has given us authority. His authority and not our own over the demonic. You can go to Mark sixteen seven and look that he gave us the power over these spirits. But I will always ask the Lord to do the rebuking because that's what Michael did. If you go to the book of Jude in verse 9, Michael was disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. Now, Michael and Satan are equals. They are both archangels. Why, at that moment, right, Michael should be able to just deal with it, but he doesn't. He looks at the the enemy and he says, the Lord rebuke you. So whenever I am faced with something like that, that's what I do. I said, you know what, I know there's something going on here. Father, in Jesus' name, rebuke whatever spirit this is. That leads to my second question. Can a believer be possessed by a demon? And the answer is... No! A believer cannot be possessed by a demon. Let me explain why. The Bible teaches us that light and darkness cannot dwell together. 2 Corinthians 6.14 And that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 The idea that the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us would then allow a demon to take possession of what Jesus has purchased is wrong. It cannot happen. Cannot happen. However, we do know we are part of a spiritual war. We know that our wrestling is not with flesh and blood, but in the spiritual realm, according to Ephesians 6, 12. And because of this, even though a believer cannot be demon possessed, a believer can be harassed or even influenced by the lies and attacks of a very real enemy. And this influence can Increase through our disobedience or our refusal to confess and deal with sin in our lives. But when we belong to Christ, no demon can ever take possession of us. That's why I brought up those two phrases. Because to be possessed, daimon itzomai, that one, the long one, right? That can't happen to us. Because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The other phrase, ekon the one where the demon can harass and bother and influence and annoy, that can happen to anybody. But when we're walking with the Lord and we are filled with His light, filled with His Spirit, following the leading of the Spirit, when we're in the Word, right, standing on the authority of God's truth, well, they, they don't have, there's not a lot they can do. They can lie to us. They can annoy us. And then we have a choice. Do we listen to them or do we listen to God? I mean, it seems like it would be an easy choice, right? But sometimes we make the wrong one. Two semi-quick comments to dispel a couple of myths, and then we will move forward. Now, if you really want to spend time studying demonology, uh, (laughs) the study of demons, um, there are some great scriptures you can look back in the Old Testament. I think it's Isaiah it's Isaiah 14, and then there's a passage in Ezekiel that talks about the fall of Satan. Um, you can get into the book of Revelation where there's a lot in there. I don't. It's not necessary for the most part unless you're interested um, because we know demons are fallen angels, um, and there's some fun... Fun is the wrong word. There's some interesting stuff that you can look into in that realm, but it's not necessary other than to know who our enemy is, what's more important is to know how we deal with him. And that's through the word of God in prayer and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being around other believers so that he can't get us alone and wreak havoc in our lives. So the two things I wanted to move on to talk about, the demonic and mental illness. And this is important. While demonic influence can aggravate mental illness, And those who are demon-possessed will display symptoms and behaviors similar to some mental illnesses. There is no evidence in Scripture that all or any mental illness is caused by the demonic or some other spiritual issue. Right? That would be like blaming demons on a cancer diagnosis. Or blaming demons on a heart disease diagnosis. Or blaming demons because you have gout and it's your own fault because you ate the shrimp and you shouldn't have. Right? It's not happening right now, but it would. That's why I don't eat shrimp. I, I don't blame demons when that happens. And so we have to be very careful because there are some who want to blame the devil for mental illness. Now, don't get me wrong. Mental illness is certainly his playground but he is not the primary cause of it. Just like he is not the primary cause of cancer or any other disease because we live in a fallen and sinful world. Living in a fallen and sinful world certainly contributes to all illness, to all death, is a result of us living in this world. Attacks from our enemy, spiritual issues in our lives like unrepented sin can aggravate it. But mental illness, like any other illness, is not to be blamed on the demonic. Now, here's the reason I bring that up. Because I know people. I've met people. They've actually said this to me. And you all know my history. You know my struggles. They've looked at me and they said, well, if a person's depressed, it's because they've given their lives over to Satan and not Christ. I've had people say that to me. Well, the only reason you would be anxious about anything... is is because you're listening to the lies of the devil instead of the truth of God's word. There is some truth to that. But but the reality is, I have no control over my depression. God does. And by his grace, he's given me tools and and whatnot to help me with it. But I didn't cause it. And I'm not going to blame Satan either. He likes to play in it but then that's my fault for letting it. But the idea that all mental illness is a spiritual attack, or is the devil did it, or if you just were right with Jesus, you wouldn't have to deal with it. It's a lie. Because I'm going to tell you this. I'm not perfect. You know that. Far, far, far from it. But I'm right with Jesus. (laughs) I know that. And I still struggle with mental illness. And he is very gracious in that. Second, we must not have an unhealthy obsession with the demonic. Some people look for the devil in everything, they go around hoping to find some person that they can cast a demon out of. I've told you three times, I've dealt with the demonic in some way. I don't want to do it, it's not fun. I don't want to be faced with it. I don't want to look at it. Now, if I was in front of a person who was being tormented by a demon, I would certainly pray over that person. I would lay hands on that person. I would declare scripture over that person and ask God to deal with that. I wouldn't run from it, but I I don't want to. It's unpleasant. But some people, that's what they look for. They want to find demons. Why? C.S. Lewis said this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Yes, we have a real enemy, but why would we focus on him? Instead, we focus on God. And when we do that, he will deal with the enemy. And I'm not saying we don't have an enemy. I'm not saying he's not going to come after each and every one of us. I'm just saying we let God take care of it. Verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her, so he stood over her, And rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. I love this. So after they leave the synagogue, they go to Peter's house, right? It says Simon, but it's Peter. Um, And his mother-in-law is laying there ill with a fever. If Peter had a mother-in-law, what does that also mean he had? A wife. A wife. Peter was married, which automatically disqualifies him from being the first pope. Throwing that out there. Uh, there's those who want to go all the way back and say, oh yeah, Peter was the first pope. And, and, and they try to say that he wasn't married. How do you say Peter wasn't married when Jesus healed his mother-in-law? It's like saying that, that Mary was a perpetual virgin when she had at least six other children. Now, when I was in sixth grade, I went through a class that taught me how that happened. <laughs> Mary was not a perpetual virgin. So with that out of the way, Jesus stood over her, commanded the fever to leave her, and she was well. Then she immediately arose and healed them. And I love that statement. The word for serve here is where we get our word deacon. And all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to use the gifts that God has given us in order to serve others. This is one of the reasons that Jesus brings healing and restoration into our lives. So we can, by his grace and power, bring the same into the lives of others. There's a couple of scriptures we're going to visit concerning that. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Very simply what that passage is teaching is this. God reconciled us to him. And then he's given us the ministry of helping other people be reconciled to him. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we love and serve our neighbors, because that is what we're called to do as ambassadors for Christ. Second scripture, Second Corinthians 1, through 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. That simply says this when we go through difficulty, God will bring us comfort. Then God will take the comfort that He gave us and allow us to use it to comfort others when they go through difficulty. There's a quote that follows or flows around out in the world. Uh, it's attributed to actually multiple people, uh, but it says this Your greatest pain. Will likely become your greatest ministry. Your greatest pain will likely become your greatest ministry. Now, I know you guys are all okay with it, but I talk about my struggles with mental illness. I was at a church where they got mad at me for doing that. Oh, how dare you? you know people don't need to know that about you. Like, yes, they do. It explains a lot. It really does. But this is why I talk about it and why I refuse to be ashamed of it. Because I am alive today by the grace of God. He has gotten me through so many things. And I've come to the place that I know I'm going to get through whatever it is I face today, tomorrow, or next week. Because he's gotten me through everything I've faced up till now. And I'm very, very grateful for that. It doesn't change that I struggle. I struggle. My honesty about it has given me more opportunities to love on and encourage others than any of the degrees that hang on my wall. I've had so many people go, really? You struggle with depression? Yeah. Can I talk to you? Of course. And then I can share with them what God has done to keep me alive. And I know that he'll do it in their lives too. So I I refuse to be ashamed of it. So what you can do is think about Your greatest pain. All right, don't spend a lot of time on it because it's not fun. But quite often God will take that and he'll get you to the other side of it and then he will bring people into your life who are going through similar things and then what you've learned you can share and pass on and encourage because that's what 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians what was it? I scrolled. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us. Number 3, verse 40. Continuing ministry. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on them, and on every one of them, sorry, and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You're the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew him that he was the Christ. Verse 42, Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So as his fame spread, people started bringing anyone and everyone they could to Jesus, right? To be healed of their diseases, to have him deal with the demons. The demons repeatedly tried to identify him, and he would not allow it. And this all happened at sunset on the day we began in the synagogue. Now, I think this is really good for us because it shows us that part of our role— As ambassadors for Jesus Christ, is to do the same thing that these people were doing. They heard about his fame, they heard him preach, they saw him do ministry or do miracles, and what did they do? They went and got people who they knew needed that and they brought them to Jesus. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to know 840 scriptures by memory, right? You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be any of those things. You know what you have to do? Bring people to Jesus. Come and see. It's what they say at the beginning of the book of John. Well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. We found the Messiah. Really? Come and see. That's our job. We can't make people get saved. We can't make people pray a prayer. We can't make people believe the truth of the gospel. What we can do is love them share the truth with them, and invite them to come and see. Now, Jesus departed to a deserted place. We've used this word a number of times, Oremos, a place of solitude. But the people followed him. They tried to get him to stay with them. And Jesus replied by reiterating his purpose, which was to preach the kingdom of God in other places as well, which he did. Now, as we close, we're going to visit that for just a moment. I talk about purpose a lot because I think it's so important for us to realize that each of us has been created in Christ Jesus for a purpose, which God has chosen and gifted us for. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. And there's other places you can look. Go read the, the first chapter of Jeremiah or go read Psalm 139. Over and over again in Scripture, God says, I made you for a reason. Maybe this purpose will become your vocation. I am blessed. My purpose and my vocation are the same thing. Maybe it won't. Because some people have a job that they really like or that they're really good at, but it's not necessarily their spiritual gifting and they use that in another time or in another way. That's okay too. Whatever the case, we all have a purpose. None of us is here by accident or by chance. We are all right where God wants us, when God wants us, unless of course we're here by some act of disobedience, but that's another issue. But if you're here... It's not by accident, right? It's not by accident that you're alive in in, in March of 2023. It's not an accident that you're in Gunnison. It's not an accident that you have the gifts that God has placed on your life. None of those things are an accident. He did it all on purpose. And I love that because he does that so we can do the things that we Are called to do. Now, Jesus would not let the people distract him from his purpose. But what's so interesting about this passage is that they were not trying to distract him with something evil or some sin. Don't get me wrong, the devil has a lot of tools that he uses to try to distract us from our purpose. I have no doubt about that. And sometimes, and maybe even more often than not, that distraction is something sinful. Well, yeah, you're supposed to be a pastor, but wouldn't it be more fun, you know, to to become a womanizer? No, it would not. Right? Wouldn't it be more fun to be a drug addict? I don't know. Those are really bad examples. I'm tired. Um, (laughs) But the point is, sometimes he will use that. More often than not, I think he wants to distract us with something that we think is good. They wanted him to stay. They wanted him to continue teaching them. They wanted him to continue healing people. These were good things. Right? Was that sinful? Would it have been sinful for him to stay there and continue preaching to those people? No. It wouldn't have been sinful for him to stay there and continue performing healings and miracles. That wouldn't have been sinful at all. But it would have hindered him from fulfilling his purpose. Greg Laurie makes a a comment that I really love, and it says, don't let something good take the place of something great. Don't let something good take the place of something great. That, to me, is so vital, because there's a lot of good things To be distracted by. Right? It's not bad. But, if it's not what we're called to, or if it's not what we're called to at the moment, then that good thing is keeping us from what God would have for us. And as I mentioned earlier, we cannot be possessed by a demon as a believer. But I guarantee that one of the enemy's tactics is to get us distracted Because if he can distract us from our God-given purpose, then he can keep us from becoming fruitful and from becoming the people God has created us to be. We saw Peter's mother-in-law healed, which led to her service. And I know that's what God wants for each of us. Maybe we are in the place where God is healing us and restoring us. And that's awesome. That's a great place to be. Maybe we're in the place where it's time that we use the healing and restoration of God in our lives to serve other people. Whatever the case, I pray that each of us would be moving forward in our relationship with God through Jesus and that we would all seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these things shall be added to you. In other words, As we keep our focus on him, we can trust in his promise to handle everything else. Easier said than done. But it's still the truth of God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great grace. I thank you for each and every person who's in here or who's listening online who you God, have called to yourself, who you have created for a purpose. I know that the greatest thing that will hinder any of us from achieving our purpose is not having a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So if there's anybody who needs to begin that relationship here or online or listening to the recording at some other time, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would work in their lives and their hearts, and I pray that that you would give them the grace to reach out so that we can help them. And Lord, I ask for each person who is here, for each person who does know you, that you would give us, A, the grace to be healed and restored by the wonderful gift that is salvation in Christ. And then I pray, Lord, for each of us, Help us to not be distracted from our purpose. Help us to know what our purpose is and then to walk in it by the power of your spirit and the guidance of your word, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.